spiritual care offerings for the residents. It was other things like exercise and music, which we know are all really good and helpful. However, the the spiritual nourishment was lacking, and we wanted to do something about that. So somebody mentioned, oh, let's just have a rosary here. And I said, oh, okay, I'll go ahead and organize that. And and I did. I went back to my parish. I was leading a Bible study group at the time, and I asked two of the volunteers, um, two of the participants and two volunteers piped up and said that they would love to be involved. And those two volunteers, Marcella and Sue, are still praying the rosary um, at Assisted Living Communities. And we brought in um, the rosary, you know, once a week at this facility, and that's what we usually do. Volunteers usually pray once a week at the same facility at the same time at an agreed-upon schedule for everybody. And once we started praying the rosary there, the family members asked us to come in more. And we did. We grew that team in that facility. Now we're praying three days a week. And that was, you know, right before that, we got it started, but then COVID happened. And that really, you know, changed things as we all know. And then during that time, we did Zoom rosaries for that whole year and a half. That, those volunteers were amazing. They kept with it. And then when volunteers were allowed back in facilities, they started again. And then we realized, you know, there are probably other facilities that would like the rosary and we started calling and they said yes we would love volunteers to come in and pray with the residents so that's how it started with just two volunteers in one facility and now it's grown to almost 300 volunteers and over 100 facilities and we're growing into other states as well oh and, and um did, did where are you geographically i know that you do have a presence here in north texas in the dallas fort worth area but have you how many states or how broad are these uh 100 you know places that you're visiting now yeah right now we we started this in the boulder um colorado area and then it grew to denver and you know around colorado and now we're <sighs> going into other states we're in Ohio, we're in Texas, we just got a team started in Wisconsin, and it's just flourishing now. And I'm thinking like from a, my, my um, father, my stepfather passed away back in November, and he was in a home and he had memory, you know, memory issues, and, and I just... Um, remember the circumstances where a lot of people kind of are in their own little world. And I'm just thinking logistically, how do you bring people together? Do you have to get the family's uh, permission? Uh, because a lot of these people, uh, you know, don't have all their cognition with them. So how, how from a, uh, the standpoint of logistics, do you kind of get all these people to come together for the rosary? So what usually happens is the facility works with us. We collaborate with them and they put the, time and day on their master schedule, their activity schedule, and then their staff helps bring the residents into a common room. And we pray the rosary in a group with the volunteers and the residents. And for memory care, you know, it's really beautiful because, you know, as we know, if we have family members um, who have cognitive issues that a lot of times, you know, they can't even talk towards the end of their lives. However, they often remember how to pray the rosary. Mm -hmm. So we have had residents who are not saying anything, and then we get together, we start praying the rosary, and they can answer, they can pray 
the prayers. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's like the long-term memory of even something from their childhood comes back, whereas they may not even remember what they had for lunch that day, but that prayer comes back, which, uh, and I imagine that that's beautiful for the family to see because uh, it shows that there is, you know, still life in the, the cognition of these folks that, and something so holy as, as that as well. Uh, and I'm, I'm guessing the, the, the folks who do pray the rosary, you see a lot of joy. Um, I mean, who wouldn't be joyful praying the rosary and being reminded of all the, the mysteries of our salvation? So what, what, a, what a, an, an amazing um, idea this is. Uh, my guest is Teresa Rodriguez, founder of the Rosary Team. And uh, as she mentioned, they're in 100 facilities, started in Boulder, Colorado, has moved into to Texas. And uh, um, Teresa, if you would tell us what, what uh, exactly are you doing here locally where we are, how many teams, and maybe also what might be some of your needs as far as uh, volunteers or help? Well, what, what potential volunteers can do is they can go to the website and we have a volunteer um, button that you can learn more and sign up if you want. And we will coach you. The volunteers here in, in Denver will coach you start to start your own team. So we have a quick start guide, very simple, you know, and like a facility call script, but very simple. It's easy to do. However, what we found is that it's helpful to have somebody support you just to feel like you're doing what you need to do and you can ask questions. So we're here to help you with that. And then we give you some kind of tips to leading the rosary and some things to think about when you're leading in a group at a facility. And so the volunteers can, can go to the website and just, you know, let us know that they're interested and we can explain you know, how it works and just help them along because what we are finding that there's facilities all over the United States that do not have the rosary in them. And it's a very easy corporate worker mercy for us to do, to go into the facility and to pray with others, especially because, you know, a lot of us are praying the rosary anyway during our day. So we can pray with others and that way there's so many more prayers that we can give to God, you know, through our Blessed Mother. We can offer all these prayers for world peace, which we know we need, and that all will know the powerful love of Christ. Yeah, and do you, do you find, is there any rule as far as ages, or, you know, is this something that I, I, I mentioned before, the family activity where parents can bring their kids, or you're looking mostly for adults, or, or what? No, you know, um, in most facilities now, people can bring their children. We just had a new team start, and one woman is bringing her 10-year-old daughter. And some, you know, bring their elementary kids or teenage kids. And that has been working really well. I mean, it's beautiful. It's beautiful for the family to be involved with this, and especially to model this for our children. We also have a high school counselor bringing students to a facility near their high school to pray the rosary. So definitely, you know, we just need to check with the facility, but facilities typically love having kids in there because the residents love them so mm-hmm. much. They bring so much joy. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's definitely been my experience. I've seen that as well. And uh, so, uh, you know, the the simplicity of this is just amazing. And 
you know, one thought, you know, since I work for a nonprofit is uh, whether there's any need for fundraising or if you have needs in that regard, uh, you know, I don't even know if there's any paid employees, but uh, tell us about that. Is there, do you, is it a 501c3? It is. It's a nonprofit and we definitely need benefactors to support this ministry of the rosary team to get other rosary teams started, especially in Texas. It takes a lot of administrative support and a lot of hours behind it. So we would love mission partners in this way, and we would be happy to talk to you about that. All right, and you can go to the website, therosaryteam.org, therosaryteam.org, and I'm guessing there's a donate button on there as well. As uh, Teresa Rodriguez is my guest, and she... Um, is the founder, and she founded it back in 2019, uh, which, as you mentioned, uh, not not the best year in the world to start something, but uh, did, you 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 really adjusted by doing those uh, Zoom meetings. Uh, did you did you find it difficult to kind of get back into it after COVID settled down, or or how was that process? You know what? I think everybody was so excited to be in person again after that long year and a half that they prayed online. You know, they were so happy to be involved and see the residents face-to-face. It really makes a difference meeting in person. You know, I was at Praying the Rosary a few weeks ago, and I was filling in, so I don't know these residents very well. But the Rosary team volunteer, she goes in every week, and she knew the residents. And as we were leaving, one of the residents told her, I love you, Pam. I'll see you next week. Mm. And that is how special it is to pray with somebody in person. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. And the, I think you kind of alluded to this, but as far as you can't just go into a facility and start praying with people, right? You have to get the permission. Are you only going to Catholic um, facilities or obviously there are some that are not Catholic that happen to have Catholic. So what is your policy on where you go? That's a good question. We go anywhere that says yes, and yes, you need permission. So what we do is we call beforehand. We explain that we want to volunteer by praying the rosary, and, you know, we get the okay, you know, and then the facility is prepared for us. Some of the facility has, you know, volunteer applications, things like that. So we go through all those things, which are, they're easy, you know, but they just need to be done. And We'll go anywhere. You know, there's Catholic residents and everyone's invited. You know, people don't need to be Catholic to pray mm-hmm. the rosary. Anyone can come. And we see that, that, that people of all faiths come to pray the rosary because it's so beautiful. And so we go wherever the facilities say yes and allow us to come in. And, you know, it's a lot. You know, most of them do say yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I think that they, I'm guessing, are always looking for ways to occupy the residents and do things that, you know, that, that make them happy and peaceful. <laughs> you know, that's, it behooves the uh, administrators to, to have these kind of things going on. Uh, what a wonderful idea that is. Uh, Teresa Rodriguez, founder of The Rosary Team. Just go to therosaryteam.org and you can find out how you can support it. How you can volunteer, and uh, I understand is it uh, Parkview and Frisco? Um, there, there's a couple of places here in North Texas that you're already, but boy, the sky's the limit with this. You could use, you know, 
you could really expand dramatically in this North Texas area, couldn't you? Oh, it's huge. The population is huge in Texas and there is so much need. And, you know, throughout the United States, there's almost 50,000 nursing facilities. So there is so much need and potential for growth and for volunteers. And the other thing is that, you know, residents, you know, they're usually in these facilities because they need help with their physical needs. Mm -hmm. They can no longer do everything that they used to be able to do. And sometimes they feel like a burden, but we know they're not a burden, right? Because we're all children of God. So we know that they're not a burden, but they still want to do something meaningful. And the rosary and praying, they can understand that they are giving back to something bigger. They are participating in redemption and helping all the prayers for the salvation of souls. Yes, amen. And do you have any, are you working with diocese or archdiocese directly? Any official work with the, uh, you know, the the organized church or is this mostly just a lay run kind of uh, volunteer basis? We we are happy to work with any archdiocese. We would love to. We have the endorsement of the Archdiocese of Denver, which is where we are with Archbishop Aquila. And um, we're happy to work with any archdiocese. So if if they want to reach out and let us know, we would love to collaborate. Yeah. And if somebody has a parent or a loved one in one of these facilities and they say, gosh, I'd like to do this, would you recommend that they go to the facility themselves and say, hey, I heard this interview, they do, they bring in, or should they let you make that initial overture? You know what, really, it's it's up to each person. However, we can help them fine-tune it so it works well that way. We actually did just have this happen a volunteer who started in Texas, she reached out to us because her father was at a facility and she wanted to start it, but she just didn't know the details. So we just helped her along and helped her get a teammate and, you know, helped her with the group rosary and things like that. And it's worked out really well. That rosary team is really doing well. They said it's really beautiful. They're really happy they're there. You know, I was at a Our Lady Guadalupe event last night and we were praying the rosary and processing. And before we started, a lady was walking around and had was literally handing out rosaries to everybody because most of us, you know, either forget our rosary. We don't have it on us at the time. So do you supply rosaries? Uh, and is that part of uh, the ministry? You know what? We we can. We have a big rosary group in Denver that donates rosaries to us. And we find that same issue is that when we go into a facility, a lot of these residents already have rosaries, but they forget to bring them. And so we can, you know, give them the rosaries for the rosary at the time. And then we usually collect them back because if we don't, then they keep, (laughs) they keep forgetting them in their room and piling up. So that's what we do. And also, you know, a lot of volunteers know their churches or somewhere around them that has these rosary making groups that they can get a large supply of. They don't usually have to purchase them. 
Yeah, great. Um, Teresa, we really appreciate your time uh, during this interview. As I mentioned, Teresa Rodriguez is the founder. It's a pretty new group, just started uh, a few years ago, 2019, in honor of her mom, Marianne. It's called The Rosary Team. And just go to therosaryteam.org and you can donate or you can also inquire about volunteering or you know, it would start, start something right where you are. Cause, uh, as Teresa mentioned, there's a lot, thousands of these home, um, assisted living facilities and memory care facilities. And only a small portion of them right now are being serviced uh, by this group right now. So Teresa, before we let you go, is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners, um, about the rosary team? I think one of the most impactful statements that I ever heard from a resident was right when we finished praying, she looked at me and she said, that was the first Hail Mary I've prayed in 45 years. Oh, wow. I know. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah, 45 years. So that is amazing. And so, well, thank you for what you're doing. I know it's bearing great fruit. And as you mentioned, it is a... Uh, yeah, I was trying to figure out, would this be a corporal or a spiritual work of mercy or both? <laughs> would this be considered a corporal? It's almost both in a sense, isn't it? I think so. You know, we, we say corporate work of mercy because that's to visit the sick, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and we're visiting the elderly, but the spiritual work of mercy is, you know, praying, right? And, yeah. You, you know, you, bringing Christ to others. You got them both covered you know, with this that's one right. uh, thing. Heaven will smile down upon anybody who does this. So, Teresa, thanks again. I just want to once again direct everybody to the website. You can learn everything there at therosaryteam.org, therosaryteam.org. Wonderful, wonderful idea that's blessing many people and it's I, I, I just got the feeling this is going to explode uh, in the coming months and years so uh, and also of course we didn't mention but pray for them pray for the rosary team and if you feel you know inspired to support them or volunteer uh, you can do so through the website get in, t- in touch with Teresa and her team uh, thanks a lot Teresa and hope you have a beautiful rest of your advent and uh, Christmas thank you for joining us in the program thank you so much you too Thank you. And this has been the interview of the week here on KTH 9, 10 a.m. And uh, thanks to Cecil Anderson. And thank you for uh, listening. And I always say thank you for supporting Guadalupe Radio because we can bring you interviews like this and also uh, through by extension support all the, the great apostolates and ministries that we talk about on the radio because everybody needs support, prayer and uh, financial support. Uh, thanks for listening. God bless you. This is Tony Beshera. My wife, Chris, and I own Babbage & Associates. We're the oldest placement and recruitment firm in the state of Texas, and we are a proud sponsor of Guadalupe Radio Network. Chris and I are also members of St. Thomas Aquinas in Dallas. Babbage & Associates offers candidates insights into the current job market, and we provide professional candidates that we have interviewed on a face-to-face basis. Our number to call is 214-823-9999, or you can visit us on the web at Babbage.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the KTH 910 AM Interview of the Week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. Glad you're with us. Hope your advent is going well. And uh, I have a really uh, wonderful guest and topic to talk to you about during the next 20, 25 minutes. I do want to thank my friend Janelle Moore, who is serving now as marketing manager of Queen of Peace Media and the founder of Queen of Peace Media is a name you likely are familiar with. Her name is Christine Watkins, a compelling speaker and author. She is the author of a very popular book called The Warning and also of Men and Mary. 
And her latest book is called The Miraculous Medal, Pendant of Power. And we're going to talk about the Miraculous Medal. We'll talk about the um, the, the inspiration uh, for the book. And I will say, interestingly, I was at the Cathedral um, Shrine of Our Lady Guadalupe just two days ago, and I'm walking out, and totally out of the blue, a lady just hands me a Miraculous Medal. And so I was telling Christine before we started that I thought the timing on that was really interesting doing the interview now. So, Christine Watkins, thanks so much for joining me, and uh, I'm excited to hear about this book. Thank you. Yes, I appreciate uh, being on your show, and I don't know why God keeps asking me to write books, but I guess He does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's I have. I'm an author of one book, and I have another one that you know I'm about to get published. But uh, tell tell us about the process. Do you just wait for God's inspiration, and maybe you can talk about a, a couple of the other books that you've written, and maybe is there any kind of connection, or is it just wherever God leads you in a particular you know writing project? Uh, where, wherever He leads me, I I definitely gave Queen of Peace Media over to the Blessed Mother when it began and got a sense in prayer. Not It didn't just come from me, but from others as a confirmation that the Blessed Mother wanted a way to spread what she wanted specifically through an organization when it came to media and writing. And so, not surprisingly, a lot of the books uh, mention the Blessed Mother as something to do with her. And so this came as a surprise. They all come as a surprise. They're usually nothing that I have always wanted to do. It's it's just not that way. I definitely wait on her. And so I never planned on doing a book on the miraculous medal, but I, I was one of those Catholics, and I think most Catholics are like this, if I guess correctly, that we know of it, but we don't really know it. Yeah, and, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're talking great? about the miraculous medal itself, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would definitely put myself in that category because, I you know if, if I was in a game show I probably could have come up with uh, Saint Catherine Labouret as the one who received it. But beyond that, I I really don't know very much about it. So I guess that's why we're talking to you now. So uh, <laughs> let, let's go back in history first, since I brought up uh, uh, Sister Saint Catherine Labouret. Can you tell us the historical background of the Miraculous Medal and how it came to be? Yes, and you were one step ahead of me. I knew that it came from heaven, but I, I get my sisters mixed up. So yeah. <laughs> I think it was Saint somebody. And so I I learned, I, I feel like I uncovered almost every rock about and cranny about the Miraculous Medal and its history. And that was a true joy. And it seems through this book and through the dispersing of miraculous medals, you can get them at queenofpeacemedia.com as well, the medals and an evangelization packet to hand out. It seems that she's doing a revival because it has exploded. The book has absolutely exploded. The warning testimonies and prophecies of the illumination of conscience exploded out of the gate, and this one is doing the same, which points to her, which points to the Holy Spirit. It's not It's not me doing this. So in the 18... 18- in 1830, when it was revealed to uh, a novice, saint, well, she wasn't a saint at the time, but she was actually saintly at the time, yeah. a novice named Catherine Labouret in Paris on the Rue de Bac uh, Street a Chapel there, at the mother house of the Sisters of Charity. When that happened, um, shortly thereafter, even though she had lots of opposition at first that the Blessed Mother told her she'd have, it went out into the world 
1836, I believe, Mother Mary appeared to her in 1830. It went out in the world in 1836 with the approval of the Archbishop of Paris. And then by 1842, I think 100 million medals had gone out around the world. Mm. So it was an explosion uh, because of all the proof of bona fide miracles. And so it was really a joy to um, put these stories of miracles in the book, ones that come from the beginning, ones of saints who distributed the the miraculous medal all over the place, St. Teresa of Calcutta, St. Maximum Colby, um, and others, just uh, that was part of their ministry, part of what they believed in and part of what they did. And so, yes, St. Catherine Labre, as a novice, was woke. She, on the eve of the feast day of St. Vincent de Paul, the founder of her community, her mother, it wasn't a mother superior, but uh, a sister who was teaching the novices as a gift, handed out a second-class relic to all the novices, a little piece of the surplus piece of material that um, St. Vincent de Paul wore. And like every good nun would do, (laughs) not, Hmm. Catherine Labray cut it in half and swallowed a piece of it, believing that St. Vincent de Paul was going to obtain the grace of seeing Mary. And I, I love her faith. She had such a strong sense that she was going to see Mary that she did that. And that very night at 1130 was woken up by a little boy who she later realized was her guardian angel glowing, said, come to the chapel. Mother Mary is there <laughs> waiting to see you. And, and I think his first words were, sister, sister, come into the chapel. Mother Mary is there waiting for you. And so he t- all the chandeliers are lit it, and, and lights are lit like at a bright Christmas Eve mass at 11.30 p.m. She walks out and she, at first she thinks that the woman walking in with the sound of the rustle of silk of her dress was St. Anne. But she, she didn't realize who it was at first. But the woman walked in, sat down at a chair, which is now a relic in France. Um, and they've they've hid it away because so many people touched it, and miracles have been attributed to the very chair she sat on. But the Blessed Mother sat down, and St. Catherine Labrae found herself suddenly at her feet with her hands resting on her lap, and she said it was the sweetest few minutes of her life. Mm. And the Blessed Mother prophesied several things that would happen with her order and with France, which did come true, and then four months later appeared to her in the afternoon when she was praying with the other novices, and was holding a globe and had rings on her fingers. And from gems on the rings, there were graces flowing onto a white globe beneath her feet. And some of the gems did not have rays flowing from them. And what Mary was communicating was, these are the graces that I obtained for those who ask of them that I shed to individuals and on the earth. And then the places on the gems where there are no rays flowing are where people have forgotten to ask for the graces. They do not come. And I thought that was very powerful because she loves giving the graces. She wants to give the graces and all she's doing is waiting for us to ask. And then around her, these golden words appeared, O Mary conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. And then this emblem this imprint turned around 
by itself, and on the back was an M with a cross and the two hearts of Jesus and Mary and 12 stars around this oval image. And she said, have metal struck and have people wear this metal, especially around their neck, and those who wear it with confidence will receive even greater graces, essentially. Mm. And so basically she has been true to her word uh, for almost 200 years. And the book, The Miraculous Metal, Pendant of Power, um, is proof of that. And, and it makes the miraculous metal incredibly exciting. Like there hasn't been a, a book that covers all of the metal and its history plus modern day miracles, plus what a sacramental is, plus how to use it, plus the novenas that go with it. It's kind of a, a compendium of everything. And it's exciting and it's up to date. So it's a, I'm so happy about it and I'm happy that it's, it's spreading what Mary obviously wants people to know. Yeah, they're very nice. The Miraculous Medal Pendant of Power by Christine Watkins is the book. And you can find out more at queenofpeacemedia.com. Of course, you can buy it at the regular uh, online portals. And I understand also very soon it will be in Catholic bookstores. It may not be yet and not sure if it'll be there by Christmas, but uh, it should be in the bookstores soon. And Christine, I, I understand in the book that you present some very captivating and it, interesting true stories um, about the power of the metal. Can Are you able to share maybe a couple of those with us? Um, sure. There's only 73. So. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do them all, okay? <laughs> Leave a little suspense. How much time do you all have? How much brain power do I have? Oh, my goodness. Um, there's so many. Um, one that comes to mind is, uh, Father Ronan Murphy, and he was a 20-year-old, not really into his faith, into sports, and probably women, I'm guessing. <laughs> he just said he was living a very worldly life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he went to Catholic school, and so he knew a bit about faith, just wasn't that interested. And he's walking down the street in Dublin, and he's in front of a Carmelite church, and a, and a force turns him to the left. And he stares across the street at this jewelry store, and in the front window, all of the display vanishes before his eyes, except for one thing, and that's a miraculous metal. Mm. And so he walks towards it, and he knows that it's a religious object. He doesn't know what a miraculous metal is, but because he was, you know, went to Catholic school, he knows it's Mary. And so he walks in, and as soon as he walks in, all of the other jewelry and everything in the counter reappears. So he buys the metal. He goes across the street back to the chapel, and he has the metal blessed. He knows to do that much, and he puts it around his neck. And the graces started to flow. At that point, he wants to know more about Mary. He starts praying the rosary. He gets he ends up going to confession, and he just gets absorbed in wanting to know more. And this eventually leads him to um, decide that he wants to do some service work. He's working for American Express, but he doesn't think because of his uh, sinful life that he's worthy of the priesthood, so he doesn't, he doesn't entertain the thought until a couple of priests pull him over. And he, they notice he's been going to Mass every day and say, you know, it's, why don't you look into it? So he does. Fast forward, he's a seminarian. 
He's in Dublin and a missionary of charity um, is outside. And um, before that, he's walking out of mass and he gets an inner voice saying, go back to the chapel. And he turns around and walks back. And that's when a missionary of charity sees him. He's not in clerics, but he says, are you going to be a priest? The, The missionary of charity asks him. And he says, well, I hope to be. And she says, well, would you like to meet Mother Teresa? He, she says, he says, of course. Well, she says, get your clerics, which he had to get the bishop's approval to wear, and then you can enter. So he comes with 800 or 1,000 other people to see Mother Teresa, who is visiting. And, uh, you know, he's just one of 800 who shakes her hand, and she's walking around. And she ends up in the middle of this large circle of people there several several layers deep between him and her so he can't see her she's very diminutive and she's speaking and he thinks to himself well it was really nice to be near a living saint um lord thank you so much for this opportunity but i think i'll go so he turns around he starts to walk out and suddenly mother Teresa of calcutta isn't speaking anymore and everything falls silent and he wonders why did she why did she not speak she pushes through the crowd. Somehow she knows to beeline to him. There's no way she could have seen him, and he didn't see her. Hmm. But she beelines to him, and she's carrying a medal, a miraculous medal. And she says, I'm going to pray that you be a holy priest. And he says, well, I, thank you, Mother. And she goes, and he, he says, I am... Um, you know, I, I hope to be. And she says, well, let me pray for all the people who are going to be in seminary with you. And she, he says, well, that's, that's a lot of people, Mother. I can't give you their name. She said, well, they will pray for everyone else, but I will pray for you, mm-hmm. that you be a holy priest. And then he, she takes the medal and puts it in his hand. Oh, wow. And then walks back through the crowd. <laughs> So that's just one of many, 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 many stories. Yeah. Um, but, and she was handing, you know, she, she handed medals out to people throughout her life. How did that you, was, she how, had a basket of them. How did you find all the stories? Uh, research. Okay. So a lot of research, a lot of dry eyes on the computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there was a, a German priest who collected stories. Um, Carl Herrera, and there was the spiritual director of St. Catherine Labouret, who initially was very hostile toward her. And when she told him that the that Mary appeared to her and wanted this medal, he, he even called her a wicked wasp when she persisted. Oh, gosh. So she didn't have it easy. But he ended up finally thinking there might be something to this when in confession, uh, Sister Labore said to him, our mother is upset. She's angry and she knows you are her servant and you would not want to disappoint her. Mm. And it was finally those words that got him. His name was Father Jean-Marie Aladeau to move. And he went to the Archbishop of Paris, explained the way the medal was 
can, can, you know, the apparition was conceiving the metal in detail, which was very Catholic and, and had so much symbolism in all of it. And he had the Archbishop of Paris happened to be a devotee of the Immaculate, um, the Immaculata. In other words, he believed in the Immaculate Conception and was a supporter of, of this manifestation of Mary. Hmm. And so he said yes immediately. And then Father Aladell, instead of calling her a wicked wasp, um, conceded to her desire that her identity be hidden and never told a soul about it, and but also became one who helped spread the metal around the world and wrote books about it. So I looked up his books from the early 1800s and the stories that he also took down. Yeah, very nice. The book is called The Miraculous Metal Pendant of Power by Christine Watkins. You can go to queenofpeacemedia.com, also online portals like Amazon, soon in Catholic bookstores. Uh, fascinating. Christine, you, the, the, the release that I got says the goal of this book is as grand as the metal is small. It is to awaken and revive a dormant giant in the Catholic Church. So clearly your goal is not just to sell a whole bunch of books and people feed their intellect about this. You really want people yeah. to act. I mean, what, what, what is the, what's the goal and purpose of the book other than getting it into a lot of people's hands? What would you like people to read? How, how would they respond? Conversion, I think, to realize that this is a grace, a very special grace given to the world, not just for the last century, but for our time specifically, that it is for now. And the graces of the metal are enormous. They, they, it's for healing. It's for conversion. It's for protection. It's for deliverance. It's, it's for fighting heresy. It's everything we need. Um, Mary wants to give us these graces, and she wants us to distribute the medal to anyone and everyone. So it's for the entire world. St. Maximilian Tolby said, give it to your children. Sew it in their clothing if they won't wear it. Give it to Jewish people. Give it to Muslims. Give it to atheists. Give it to anyone. Because these conversions happen to people who have nothing to do with the church and and this is very important and we need that extra grace right now and so part of when i started to write it is people around me started to tell me stories and so some of those ones that happened just two months ago are in the book as well it's happening now wow it says here a defeated it defeated a high wizard of satanism and yeah. and uh, do you have that story at the ready um, that you could tell us about? Uh, what was that? What were the circumstances behind that one? So Zachary King, he's been interviewed on EWTN and spoken around the world. So he was an ex high wizard Satanist. I didn't know that they existed. Talk about learning. Yeah. <laughs> and he was unfortunately. There are many satanic cults out there, and at a very young age, he started to go to this after-school kind of boys and girls clubs at someone's home, and his parents saw that there were deacons and neighborhood people from their Baptist church there, and so they thought it was all good and safe. And there he was fed every vice, uh, candy, beer, drugs, and pornography, and he ended up being in child porn, thinking he was just in the movies. 
he didn't know he was in a satanic cult until someone told him and he thought of leaving but then he thought wait a minute you know because by then he was addicted to all these things yeah and so he didn't want to leave them so he goes through a ritual of giving himself over to satan and there's a whole ritual he went through that's pretty gruesome that um made him a satanist and he loved doing magic m-a-g-i-c-k which is evil magic it's not like sleight of hand you actually call on the devil to do certain things and he does them and one of the ways he would gain his power and one of the ways covens and satanic cults gain their power today and the main way is through abortion so they consecrate all of the world's abortions every day on the hour throughout the world. Satan, it's horrific. Oh. And he also was part of 150, 146 abortions he was personally part of. Mm. Part of the power of his magic, um, the efficacy of it was basically Satan is like, you do that for me, I'll do something for you. And it works that way. So he was 99, I think it was 99% effective in his magic, meaning if he put a hex or a spell on something, it would happen. And so he, he was so effective that Satan, through the high echelon of the World Church of Satan, chose him to be the high wizard. There's only one to ten of them in the world at any given time, and they have the strongest magic. And so here he is, at, at a certain point, he gets basically kind of over-tired of evil. He's, um, you, you know, you're overindulgent yeah. after a while, and he was raised Baptist, that he thought, you know, if there is a hell, I don't really want to go there. And began his descent away from Satanism, or ascent, I should say, up from Satanism to get out. He still believed in the magic, still believed he was a high wizard, though. He just didn't want to live the life. He just wanted to do spells on his own. And so the New Age is very highly connected to all of this. Um, New Age is kind of Satanism, uh, mild Satanism is what it is. And it is the occult. And so he basically escapes, and he doesn't have any money to his name, all of his riches, all of his spells to make rock stars famous and all of that. And all of his women came to him because of being High Wizard, not because of being Zachary King. Mm -hmm. That's not his real name. He's had to change it. But he basically escaped and he gets odd jobs and he ends up working in a mall at a jewelry kiosk. And he's there. And a woman comes up and orders some jewelry from him. And then she says, well, I have something for you. And she hands him a miraculous medal. And she says, this is very powerful. Now, he gets angry because he believes, as the high wizard, that that little piece of metal that looks so jinky has no power at all. He has the power. Yes. So he's full of pride and anger and thinks, I'm going to take that from her, slap it down and show her where real power comes from. And she puts it in his hand. And in the moment that that happens, the mall disappears. He finds himself in this dark void and he's wondering like what the cameras in the mall are seeing. Like, did he disappear? What the heck's going on? He's 
terrified because there's blackness in front of him, behind him, above him, below him. He's in a void. And he has no power, and he still hears the customer's voice speaking to him. And her voice is saying, and you committed 146 abortions, and that's a sin. And you did a spell last night, and that's a sin. And you did this, that, and the other thing, and that's a sin. And the voice continued like that. And then suddenly he sees the Blessed Mother before him. And he said she was the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen. And that she smiled at him. And she said, I knew in that moment who she was. She said, he said, in the Baptist church, there's no Blessed Mother. We don't even bless anything. So he has no idea how he knew who it was. Mm. And she took his arm and she had a smile on her face. And he said, I knew in that moment with that, I did not deserve that smile because my 146 assisted abortions were right in my conscience in front of me. And he took her hand and he turned her around to face who was behind him. And that was Jesus in his divine mercy image. And these streams from Jesus's heart were flowing through him, around him, and in the moment that he saw Jesus, he that he he didn't realize this till he was telling me the story. But his feet were now on something solid. His feet were now on solid ground. He wasn't completely in a void anymore. Mm. And so Jesus appears, and he feels nothing but merciful, complete love. And he knows he's given an infusion of knowledge that the Catholic Church is real and everything it teaches is true. And then he finds himself back in the mall. And he's stunned. And the lady is in front of him, still talking to him, and she gets a phone call. And she said, oh, excuse me, I have to take this. And he says, okay. (laughs) And she takes a phone call. It's a father um, who's elderly who has a healing ministry, and he's hard of hearing so he's yelling into the phone saying hand the phone to the man across from you and she says okay father and zachary takes the phone to his ear and the priest says welcome to the faith (laughs) (laughs) wow that's a yeah that's a great story boy and that that's only two of uh what do you say 73 stories in the book yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) um well it sounds fascinating and i i totally am intrigued because you you described me and i think so many people so well at the beginning saying a lot of us have heard of it we know what it may be what it looks like the metal but we don't know the story and so i'm i'm so um excited that you have written this book in fact i'm already thinking about the people that i'd like to give this to for um christmas gifts and uh christine we're we're out of time but i i want to thank you for your time uh today again the book is called the miraculous metal pendant of power the author is christine watkins and she is the author of a very, very popular book called The Warning, which you likely have heard of. She's also the founder of Queen of Peace Media. Just go to queenofpeacemedia.com. Uh, and also, very soon, this book, The Miraculous Medal, will be in Catholic bookstores. And so, uh, just about 30 seconds remain, Christine. Anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before we let you go? I guess that I'm just um, so excited that that people are getting medals and that they're sharing them and and that they're availing 
themselves of the graces that have always been there. Yeah. Amen. So St. Uh, Catherine Labore, pray for Thanks. us. And uh, boy, uh, 19th century France was a great place to be for uh, apparitions. There was a lot going on. Uh, yeah. And uh, so anyways, thanks, Christine. Great to speak with you. And again, thanks to Janelle Moore, marketing manager, for lining this up. And thank you all for listening. And uh, we hope you continue to have a very happy and holy Advent as we are very getting very close, only a little over a week from Christmas Day. So- Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth, and North Texas. Catholic radio for your soul on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone.